Well, I'm Pete. Uh, most of you know me. Most of you know me. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, and uh, yeah, being reflective, I thought, you know, we'll just sit and talk to you this morning. We'll have a, we'll have a chat together. Um, you know, I speak a different uh, style of English, some of you have noticed. So um, if you get confused, ask your neighbor or put your hand up or write a letter to the Queen, okay? <laughs> Last week, um, we started our new series, which is called Unfinished, and Jay kicked us off with some basic questions about unfinished things in our lives, and uh, also showed us where Philippi was by Google Earth. Did you remember that? Did you see that? Yeah, did it help? No? Okay. Um, So I have have the New Jersey directions for Philippi, so just uh, bear with me. Um, You need to find a gap which is the Mediterranean Sea, you know, between Africa, and just go down through the Mediterranean Sea. As you pass the toe of Italy, Italy is kicking Sicily into the Mediterranean Sea. You got that? Yeah, that's cool. Good, good, good. Um, Jug handle right for the left turn, okay? (laughs) Um, Behind Crete, okay? Don't stop at Crete because of the Minotaur. You remember the Minotaur? Well, some of you remember. Good. Um, Half man, half bull. Don't want to go there. All right. Just keep heading north. Okay, watch out for the small islands. They're kind of like potholes. You know the potholes? Watch out for the small islands. When you see the shore, that's probably Macedonia. Okay, probably Macedonia. And Philippi is around about there. Does that help? Okay, right. All right, we'll try something else next week. Good, good. So last week we recalled how God established the church um, in Philippi through the ministry of Paul and the fashionista, the soldier, and the slave girl. You got that bit, didn't you? Yeah? You remember that because we talked about that in January and, um, and some of you at least thought you were the fashionista. That looks like a giraffe to me. Anyway, um, now, now we're going to where Paul is writing the letter, um, the book of Philippians. Um, He's writing this letter to this church, which is now quite well established. So we're moving past the opening remarks in the letter, and we're moving on to Paul's current situation, and to learn more about God's purposes amongst men, and see how God deals with us. So, I have a question for you. Let me start with a question. How did you get here today? I knew I'd get that answer. Well done. Not the car. Um, think bigger. How did you come to be here today? Okay. You came to church. Maybe you always come here. Um, you know, maybe it all goes back to some moment a long time ago when you decided that you should be coming to church. Uh, maybe it goes all the way back to your mother. Mother's got to come in here somewhere, haven't they? Um, how did you get here to this point in your life? You see, I said I was being a bit reflective this this week. Do you ever look back and wonder how you got here? How you got to this point? Do you ever look at your circumstances around you and ask, how in the world did I get here? (laughs) Yeah, I think he did. Um, You know, maybe you're surprised where you are today. Um, 
perhaps you're surprised the way life has, has turned out so far. Um, maybe it's, it's early for you and you're looking forward to all the life has to bring. Um, you know, I'm getting a little older now. So, so I tend to look back for, um, to look at me. I mean, I ended up in New Jersey. I must have done something really bad, don't you think? Uh, banished to a land with no hills and no steak and kidney pies. Cherry Hill Hill is this high. I've seen it, it's this high. So, um, take a look at this. Charming, isn't it? Can you see that? Ah, you see, one of them is me. Can you find me? <laughs> see, if you came with binoculars today, you may, you may have figured it out. Yeah? Wow. Actually, I'm showing you this because I'm excited. In a few weeks' time, I'm going back to England to attend what you would call a high school reunion. Um, actually, it was an all-boys college that I went to between the ages of 11 and 18. You can't find any girls in that picture, can you? If there is any, there's something up. There shouldn't be any girls in the picture. Um, <laughs> I'm going back, um, and I'm going to meet with some of these uh, guys. Really, they're guys that I, um, for the most part, have not seen since I was 18. I saw a few of them after I left college and went to university, so maybe when I was 20 or 21, but I haven't seen, uh, haven't seen them for a long time. Um, and uh, we're going to get back together. So it's going to be a strange experience, don't you think? Um, nostalgic, interesting. I'm a bit apprehensive, too. Um, where did we all get to? How do we get from here to where we are today. I'm sure there's some interesting stories there. And maybe God is at work in some of those. And I'm kind of looking forward to having that discussion, if I can, with, with some of my old friends, to see how, see what shaped their lives and to see what, what made a difference. So you can't find me. Um, this might help. It's <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See, that's what my mother would say. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, I dressed slightly smart this morning in case my mother came, but it's, yeah, she don't come. Um, it's a long way away. So that's me, a little dot in the middle of a photo. I have to tell you that I couldn't find me. I had to ask my wife and my daughter to look to try to find me, but we're fairly confident now that is me, right? <laughs> I don't look at me much, you know. <laughs> there is that, yeah. So this is Pete Burroughs, B.C. and B.F. Before Christ and before Fiona. Okay. Both huge events on the road to how I got here. Both huge events. I wanted to tell you briefly the story of what happened 
two years after this when I went to university, which you call college, but this was college and you call it high school. But you'll get the idea. Um, so it, it was a few months after I last saw some of these folks that um, I met some people at, at university um, that called themselves Christians. Um, and they really had a living faith. Prior to that, the only experience of Christians I'd had was in an Anglican church that my mother kind of used to make me go to. You know how it works? Got to go on Sunday. Um, it was boring. It had no meaning, really. And it was just a chore I had to do, get up, go to, go to church, um, get it over with, and then go out and do something else. That was church for me. But then I met these guys at university, and they were different. They really were different. They were sincere. They had a real faith. Um, we like to use the word authentic here. They were authentic. And they explained to me over a few weeks what the Bible said about God and Jesus and me. Why I did not have God in my life, and what I could do about it. So with their help, I found Jesus, committed myself to following him. That was in 1973, not long ago. Good. That was a pivotal point in my life. It changed everything. New values, new outlook, new friends, and a personal connection to God. You know, as I look back, and I told you I'm being reflective, um, I doubt I would have ever met Fiona um, without that decision. What of my four wonderful children? You know, we've been richly blessed. A key point in my life, probably the key point in my life, to have found Christ and to commit myself to him. It's an unfinished story, of course, but since this is unfinished, this series, that's a good thing, huh? Um, it goes on. I'm wondering how much it's going to make sense to try to explain that story to my school friends when I see them. Um, I want to try. I don't know. I've never been to a reunion before. Um, I think there could be a lot of comparing. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, but we'll see how life has worked out for, for everyone, how, um, which paths people have taken. So what about you? Have you been to high school reunions? No? Yeah? Not many. Well, I thought you'd be, because, you know, I, I feel like Americans are into high school reunions. It's not true. Ah, there we go. Um, you know, I, I, did you drink beer all day? What happened? Uh, all right. Conversion, did conversations about the meaning of life, did they happen? No? no? <laughs> all right. Uh, so maybe I asked it too much. But do you ask yourself similar questions? Um, I think most of us of any age, we look back and we say, how in the world did I get here? And if your circumstance isn't the way that you'd really like it to be, perhaps you're thinking, um, did I take a wrong turn? Did, did, did something happen? Um, 
when we look back, there are, there are crossroads, aren't there? There are decision points in our lives which are so important. I remember another one. Let me tell you one more story. Um, and if some of you have already heard this story. But I remember sitting in a, a meeting at work with my boss in southern England in 1991, I think. Um, and we were discussing stuff, and I felt a prompting to volunteer to do something that wasn't expected of me. Just sitting in a meeting room. You know, and I don't often volunteer to do extra work. So, but I felt prompted. It was almost a voice in my head that was telling me to volunteer. So I did. I volunteered. When I look back at that time, it was that piece of work, which wasn't a large piece of work, which was recognized by a at that time a corporate research director and about a year later he offered me a job in a research center in Austin, Texas. I just responded to a voice in my head and we all moved, big change for the family, from southern England to Texas on the 1st of June 1993. A good time to move to Texas as you're well aware. <laughs> it was a little warmer than in England. It's a big change. And when I look back, I think, wow, that was just a prompting I felt, and I responded to it, and wow, what a huge difference that made. Can you remember times in your life when there were crossroads like that? It occurs to me that some of you are here today because God wanted you here about that? So, I'm going to stop reminiscing for a moment. We're going to talk a little bit about Paul, okay? I'm going to go back to, uh, to Philippians chapter 1, and hopefully you'll see the connection. So last week, um, uh, back in verse 7 of chapter 1 of the letter to the Philippians, Paul mentioned that he was um, in bonds, that he was imprisoned. He doesn't make much of it. Um, he just mentions it while passing. So he says this, I told you in my heart, <clears throat> I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Then in the next section, our, our passage for this week, he mentions it again. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So we're clear that Paul is writing his letter from some form of imprisonment. He doesn't tell us where, but most of us, most folks believe that he was, this was his final imprisonment in Rome where he was writing this letter which is described a little in Acts, uh, at the end of Acts. He's not exactly behind bars, but he's under a kind of house arrest with guards, the palace guards, and he has chains. Um, we assume he's allowed visitors, seems that way, and he's clearly allowed to write letters, because that's what we're reading. So what I want to do for a few moments is to try to get into Paul's mind and you know, to, to, to empathize and see where he was at this point in his life. You know, imprisonment gives a lot of time for reflection, so I'm sure reflection was going on. 
you think he might look back and wonder how he got there in that place? Chains, guards. You think he might be asking, why? How come I'm here? Let's remember for a moment that Paul is an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle is someone who makes churches. He travels. He builds new churches. And now he's in prison. I read in a, in a, a book earlier in the week, suggested that being in prison for Paul must have been like a concert pianist um, with his hands tied behind his back. Can you imagine that? Un unable to really do the work he was called to do because he's constrained to a house with guards. And that's what he's alive for. But he can't do it. So whatever he writes, he must have reflected. And I surmise, but he must have reflected, how did I get here? Um, did I mess something up? D did God mess up? And yet he says in that verse, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay. Paul's been in prison before. Actually, we think he's been in prison several times um, in his travels, but in fact, he's been in prison before in Philippi, and we had that story when, um, when we went uh, past the Fashion Easter in, in January. Um, it's a long story, but let me, let me tell it to you. I don't want to read it all because it'll, it'll take a while. Um, <coughs> so Paul was, came to Philippi initially to plant a church. He was being followed around in Philippi by a slave girl who had a spirit in her, and she was fortune-telling by this spirit. She was earning pretty good money for her owners, um, but she'd been following Paul and Silas around and, and shouting about them. So, troubled, Paul commanded the spirit to come out of the girl, and the spirit left. Okay? Unfortunately, her owners were really miffed, because the spirit in the girl was their livelihood. That was how they were making money. Um, so they made accusations to the authorities. Um, the crowd turned against them. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten, and they were thrown into prison. And the jailer commanded to guard them carefully. Then in Acts 16, if we pick up the, the story, upon receiving such orders, he, that's the jailer, put them in the inner cell fasten their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Cyrus were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Hallelujah. Wow. God at work goes on. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword as about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rusty and, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved 
you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. How incredible was that? How incredible was that? This is the way life should work, shouldn't it? This is the way life should work. Um, You get thrown into prison for an unjust reason. Um, You get locked in the inner prison with stocks. Then God sends an earthquake to free you. Okay? And then you don't even have to leave and the jailer and all of his family come to Christ. An astonishing experience. This is what God can do. And this is the experience of Paul. This is what he can reflect on. Yeah? Actually, I, I wonder um, if the palace guards that are guarding him now knew this story because trying to guard against that is a bit like trying to guard Magneto, do you think? <laughs> Remember the plastic prison? It's like, ah. How did he get free from that place? He got there and through that experience by the power of God. And the power of God was really evident. Is that what you want of God? You want him to come with miraculous power into your life and free you from all of the things that bind you. Pay off the bills. Get me a job. Um, Give those folks that did wrong to me, give them their just desserts. Um, Remove those folks that are causing grief to me. God, come and intervene. And he can do it. He can do it, so why not? Okay, so let's get back to Paul now. (coughs) Let's think of him now as he's in prison and he's writing the letter. He has seen God act before. Don't you imagine he's thinking, why God? Why am I trapped here? Get me in front of Caesar. Let me preach the gospel to the whole Senate. You know, I need to get through Rome. I need to get to France. They really need some saving. Um, then there's the Britons, what lot they are. Um, I mean, the message must be preached. You did the stocks in the inner prison before. I know you can do it. Do it now. Do it now. Uh, I think I would. Uh, surely Paul must have imagined those things. If you were in Paul's shoes... You'd be saying that, wouldn't you, in that situation? Why am I stuck in a prison in Rome? Why doesn't God act miraculously? So did Paul mess up? Did he make too many mistakes, get off track? Didn't God know what the Romans would do to him? Surely not. Let's get back to uh, to the um, passage and see what Paul's attitude is as we read it. So in verse 12 of that passage we just read, we'll go through it again. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Really? Served to advance the gospel. Paul's attitude? Paul is not saying... God, why did you put me here? How did I get to this place? How did this happen? Why don't you act? He still sees God in it, regardless of his circumstances. He sees that God is at work, even though the circumstances 
are not the best. He sees that people are being reached that might never be reached otherwise, the palace guard. So a key to Paul's attitude is how he views what is important. He's about advancing the gospel. His attitude is rooted in the importance of the work of Christ, not his own comfort, not the adventure of an apostle, not his own sense of worth or, or justice. The priority, the importance of the work of Christ. And then he goes on. Because of my chains, most of the brothers, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So he makes it clear that getting the message out is the most important thing. Now, if we look back and evaluate our lives, where we got to, what criteria do we use? Do we have a lot of money? Possessions? Career? Family? Popularity? Happiness? For me, these are the things that we most typically look to when we try to evaluate something about our lives. The problem is we can't see what God sees. We don't understand his goals and his priorities because he is God. If we do even think our lives is messed up, uh, are messed up, what, what even does that mean? Because how do we judge it? How do we even judge it? We cannot see what God is doing. So often we have very worldly criteria, very self-serving criteria. And we can't see, some would say we can't see the big picture. I think I wanted to change that and say we need to see the kingdom picture. The kingdom picture. Let's recap for a moment. You know, we spent some 12 weeks in our last series on the series One Life. In that we learnt about God's kingdom, Yeah? how he wants to establish that amongst us, um, who call him our Lord and King. We learn that God's kingdom is wherever he rules and reigns, not just in the life to come, but now amongst us. So it's happening all around us. And as we give our lives over to his will and authority and let him reign in our midst, that is the precept of Paul's thinking. That's where he's coming from. He's embraced God's kingdom dream for the world. And nothing can be compared to that. Nothing. His comfort is irrelevant to that. We'll get to it eventually in Philippians, but Paul says later in his letter, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And he describes all that he had in this world and before he began to follow Jesus. And he says, I consider everything a loss, rubbish, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see the same attitude in this little passage as we continue. It's true, he says, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
the latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. It's really important, you know, that Jay encouraged us to look at God's kingdom dream for the last 12 weeks up till Easter. Really important, because it has to be our focus. If our focus as Cultivate is to prove that we can do it as a new church, or to prove that we're better than others, if our motivation is in any way based on rivalry, we will fail. We will fail. It's, it's the seed. You remember the parable of the sower again? The seed and the good soil. We will fail. The seed will fall on the path or get strangled by the thorns. Our motivation has to be for his kingdom. And when we evaluate our lives and when we evaluate where we've got to, comparing is very easy and very dangerous. Um, I pray that I won't be drawn into that as I go to my reunion. Because, you know, success of that type, success of this world, does not survive the grave. And we're all going to be there someday. And then Paul, in the last part of that passage, whatever his circumstance, he is rejoicing. Don't you just love that? He is rejoicing. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I'm working on that. Um, at the current rate of progress, I'm going to have it licked as long as I live to about 500. <laughs> so, is your life focused on the right things? How are you measuring success? How are we measuring success? We want to see lives changed and we want to see God's kingdom come, right? God's kingdom come. So how in the world did you get here? Do you see God's hand on your life? Do you think the choices you made have put you beyond God's help? It's a lie. You wouldn't be here today if that were the case. You feel you can't achieve what you need to do. That you can't fulfill your mission in life. That you can't do what you need to. That you can't make progress. That you're trapped by circumstances. That you can't make fulfill what God wants in your life. I know for some of you that's a reality. Some of you feel you're sure you took a wrong turn. Life is confusing. You know, I don't have all the answers. Um, and, and like Jay a few weeks ago, I don't want to make light of some of the challenges that I know some of you face. However, when I was thinking through this um, over the week, God pointed me to a verse that you're all going to know, I think. It's this one. Trust in the Lord with... It's Proverbs 
3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Really what it says to me is, you know, our Lord sees where we cannot see. And our job is to stick close to him. The next verse after this says, do not be wise in your own eyes. It's so easy for us to assume that we know where we're going and that we have the right answer. We won't find our own way. We need God's way. We need God's way. There's an old hymn, um, I don't know if you know this one, it goes, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I see some of you know it. Um, I haven't sung that one for a long time. But, you know, I remember asking God once a long time ago how this was all going to turn out. And what I was meaning in my, my head, I think, was this following him thing, you know? And... I remember that the answer that I got back was, was, was that. You'll be okay, just trust and obey. Just trust and obey. That's easier said than done. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And there's the promise in that verse, he will make your paths straight. He will. But it's not um, that he tells you where the goal is and then you plot your way to it. That's not the way God works, is it? Maybe for a few people sometimes, but normally that's not the way God works. It's each step at a time. It's each step at a time. Do you imagine we could have been like this here as a new church six months ago? I couldn't. I'm proud to see how strongly you guys have pulled together and how many of you have stepped up. But we got here following him step by step. We didn't know where we were going. Sorry if you thought some of us did. We, we got here step by step. There's no master plan. It's one step at a time with God. That's the way it works. You just, at least I do, pray that the steps he asks you to take aren't too hard. But you want to take one step at a time, and it's the only way. These words came to me this week. Follow him and let his eyes see where your eyes cannot see. So we think we can evaluate the future. We think we can see what's coming. We think we can control and get around. No, he says, follow me and let, your eye, let my eyes see where your eyes cannot see. Follow him and let his presence be your joy and your purpose. That was where Paul was. Let his presence be your joy and your purpose. Let's ask God to give us the grace to do just that and to continue to do that. I have one more verse for you, and just for 
as I'm preparing these things during the week, it's, it's strange how God brings things in and, and I'm thinking, well, well, why? And this verse had come to me, and this is the, uh, the last one I want to share with you, but it's, uh, it's from Colossians chapter 2. Um, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We came to Christ by believing. We took a step of simple faith. That's how we came to him. That's actually how he wants us to continue to live in him. Step by step. Believe, have faith, and step with me, one step at a time. So how in the world did I get here? I got here because my Lord led me here and he knows what he's doing. Okay? That's where Paul is too. I got here because my Lord led me here and he knows what he's doing. It may not look the way I wanted it to look, but he does know what he's doing. And he evaluates things in ways that we can't evaluate. Okay, well, let's pray together. Let's, uh, let's bring these things to him. Lord, we want to thank you that we did get here. We thank you, Lord, for all the times that you were caring for us and we just didn't even notice. Lord, we want to thank you for your love, for your grace, for your caring, for your shepherding, Lord. And though we don't understand it, we thank you for it nonetheless. Lord, Lord, we pray for those here this morning with us who are in, who know their need to get closer to God, to know, to know you more closely, Lord, to be able to grasp hold of you and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing folk here this morning that need to know that and need to go to that place. You know, if you're like that this morning, just pray with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are there. Thank you that you have called to me become my guide and my Savior and my Lord. Well, we believe in you and we know that as was said to the jailer, we will be saved if we do that. Well, we believe in you this morning. And I want to pray as well for you folk that, that feel like you're stuck in hopeless circumstances, who need to hear God and have confidence to move on as Paul did. Lord, come by your Spirit on those who feel stuck and confused. Those, Lord, that are calling out to you, come by your Spirit, Lord. 
strengthen our faith, Lord, that we may rejoice in all circumstances. Strengthen our relationship with you, that we may take comfort from your presence, whatever our situation. And help us to walk in simple faith, trusting you and obeying your word. Lord, we thank you that you promised to keep our paths straight. Help us to trust you and to rejoice and to be thankful. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for your spirit amongst us.